Welcome to Spirited Word. By God's Word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works faith in God's grace in Jesus, when and where He pleases. Sermons by Pastor Adrian Kitson, Lutheran Church of Australia. Our second reading is from Revelation 21, verse 1 to 6, God's new heaven and new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Omega, Alpha and Omega, and the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. It's a good day. Thank you for rain maybe coming. Uh, Thank you for this. Spirit's word already, help us, Lord, to hear your voice today, above all other voices, and to hear your good news. Hope, hope for us now and the future. So speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, always active, always calling and gathering and enlightening us all the time. In the name of Christ, amen. There are two guys, two guys, and they're given a job, and their job... In a little factory somewhere in town, was to put the widget on the wadget. That was their job, the widget on the wadget. Whatever a widget is and whatever a wadget is, that's what they had to do. Every day, all day, the widget on the wadget. And they had this mind numbing, boring, lifeless, tedious work for one year, 12 months. The widget on the wadget every day for 12 months. And one fella, well, he uh, was told that he's going to be paid $20,000 for his year of wadget on the widget, widget on the wadget work. And the other guy, he was told that he was going to earn $20 million for his work for the year. $20,000. 20 million. So, this could represent the two different men as to how they went about the work, don't you think? You just think about it. 20 million for a year's work. Someone at the first service said this could be two men in Australia this morning. Bill Shorten and (laughs) Scott Morrison. Oh, that was pretty funny. But anyway, um, yes, different things. So anyway... uh, how do you think they'd go about it with a future like that? I think this. One guy would be bored 
and lifeless and he would take as long as he possibly could to get to work and he'd leave as soon as he possibly could when the day was finished. And he'd whinge to his friends that his life sucks, that he hates his job and that he hasn't got a future and he would display very little hope. Now the other guy, of course, on the 20 mil, I mean, how's he going to go about it? He's going to be whistling as he goes to work every morning early and he's going to get the other guy a cup of coffee as he goes past every morning just to annoy him. No, not really, because he's so happy. And he's going to tell his friends what? That he loves his work and he loves his future because it's so bright and it's going to be great. And he would display overflowing and possibly now and again annoying hope. Okay, what's the point? What's the, what's the difference? The future. Your future shapes your present, does it not? What you know is going to happen in your future will have direct implication for how you go in your now. What you hope for in the future directly shapes how you go about it, don't you think? Now, having said that, can I ask you a question? Did you hear your future this morning? Did you hear it? I did. Then I saw a new heaven, literally sky. Then I saw a new sky and a new earth. For the first sky and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the sky from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the future. How can this be? Because it's here. Earth, sky, city, river. It's things we already know. It's where we already are. That can't be. That can't be. Heaven can't be that. Maybe God's heaven has nothing to do with the idea that our spirit gets to fly away into the clouds to play the harp for the rest of our lives. To me, that would be worse than putting the widget on the wadget. I'm sorry if you're a harp player, but it's not me. How can this be? How can this be? This is not what we normally believe. I'll give you one word that makes it all happen. You can guess the word. Easter. Yeah. Resurrection. Resurrection. That's how it is. Easter resurrection. Easter Jesus. Jesus' resurrection wasn't stuck in the Bible to make us all feel better after the sad story. It's heaps more than that. It's grand. It's cosmic. It's enormous. It's world-changing, person-changing. Jesus' resurrection, actually, when you look at the New Testament, is that it's the new heaven and the new earth being achieved, being done, coming, coming down, being here now. His resurrection is the what? The new creation. That's what the scriptures say. A new creation turns up at that resurrection Sunday morning right in the middle of the old one that's dying. That's how big it is. And you can go through the New Testament and you can see the writers that saw this and 
they can't find the words. They just, they just have to pick some words from their language to try and express the grandness of it. It's so enormous. And for the rest of their lives, they spent trying to figure out the magnitude of what happened that day for the whole planet and the whole universe and the whole of them. So you will hear him say things like this. Jesus is raised, so now you can bank on the fact that he actually is the long-promised one. Right from the first creation all the way. Jesus is raised, God's promised new creation that he spoke all the way through the story of his people, even right from the first creation in the garden, that far back, it's happened. It's here. It turned up. It's come down. Here, now. All those promises about the new garden, all those promises about killing the snake, about the new temple, the tabernacle in the desert, Ten Commandments, Moses, Mount Sinai, all those stunning words that the prophets try and express the hope of the future of a new Messiah, Messiah, Hebrew, Saviour, Anointed One, King David, all God's words to him about the new king that will never die and whose kingdom will never end and will triumph even over the gates of Hades. All that stuff has begun. That's the resurrection. Even more stunning, Jesus is raised not to be a floaty spirit in some sky cloud place or some alternative universe. No way, man. When he was raised, what did he do in those, those resurrection accounts? He ate, he drank, he spoke, he breathed, he had the wounds in his body... He's a human being. It's Jesus, the Messiah, still. He speaks, he breathes, he's just like he was, but, and they can't find the words. So they use this weird word, glorified. Whatever the heck that looks like. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out. Maybe we already have found out. Okay. If he's been raised like that, then you will be too. This is what I said a couple of weeks ago. You will remain you. And all of you will be all of you. And I'll know you like I know you now. And you'll know me. But I'll be glorified. What's that going to be like? I'm looking at Dave and I'm thinking, I'm going to play the best guitar licks I could ever possibly play. Oh, it's going to be heaven, man. My Gretsch is just going to... It's going to be great. Anyway, besides all that, it's irrelevant. So... Uh, if this is your future, then maybe putting the widget on the widget isn't too bad. Maybe. But I have to ask you, though, do you believe this, friend? Do you believe it? We actually do say that our life has a goal and a purpose as Christian people. And we actually confess in the creeds, that we will be bodily resurrected from the dead. We say it every time we say the creed. But I suspect hardly anybody actually believes that. I suspect most of us actually believe some very good ancient Greek philosophy, first spoken by philosophers like Plato. His idea was that we humans have an eternal soul. And it's our essence, 
and it's the part of us that lives forever. So he split us into two, soul, body. The soul matters because it's the only thing that lasts and it's the essential us, you, your soul. And the body, yeah, whatever, irrelevant, including the earth, creation, yeah, whatever, temporary, not worth a cracker. What's really worth the cracker is your soul. And when you die, finally it happens. Your soul flies away from the entombed body that it's been stuck in all your life. And you're finally free in some alternative parallel universe, whatever you name it. I suspect that most of us probably believe that more than we believe in the Christian view of what happens. Well, how does this happen? If this is true, Plato I'm talking about, well, if you're a Hindu, you believe in an eternal soul. And karma, we might say fate, life experience, whatever, outworks itself in your life and you come back hopefully again and again and again and again. What's it called? Reincarnation. And hopefully if you do a good job this time around, you won't come back as a cockroach. Or, or some other slimy thing that no one likes, you know. Hopefully you'll, you'll be better and you get up the food chain and, most importantly, up the Indian caste system from an untouchable to a Brahmin. All right, what about for a Buddhist? Well, you hope the opposite in a way. You hope that you finally lose yourself and you become part of the great oneness, nirvana. And they picture it finally... I will go to this nirvana, this place, and I'll, I'll meld in to the great oneness like a drop of water in the ocean, and I will be no more. This is the goal of Hindu, of Buddhism. And what about in the West? Well, there's been much said about many people in the West, but let me tell you about Rene, Rene Descartes. He was the first one to say this, I think, therefore I am. So, it's your capacity to think that makes you actually human. The rest, eh, whatever. See the huge separation between body and matter? This is not Christian. This is not what the Bible teaches at all. God's new creation is a new earth, which means a new sky, new animals, new rocks, new sand, new creatures. New people, living water, running through the main street of a new city in which we live. And we shall live. Jesus was bodily resurrected. He ate, he drank, he spoke, he breathed, he cooked breakfast on the beach. We'll do the same in our new city, our garden city, our new creation. This is our future and it determines our present. How though? How does it come to you personally? How can you believe this? I think it's quite challenging because we're all good Plato, Plato people. How does it come to you? How can you believe this is really true? One word. Can anybody think it? When does it come to you? No? There it is. It all came to you then. Because what happens when you're baptised? What does the scriptures say, the language they use? What happens? You're born again. 
So Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're born again. Well, that sounds like the old's gone and the new's here. And the old creation is dead and dying and the new creation is now, 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 you, now, me. We're already in it. No doubt about it in the New Testament. That's what they say. Can you trust that you're not just sticking around here to wait to go to heaven when you die? As if you're some soul who float off in some parallel universe in some cloudy land. That is not Christian. Can you believe that heaven is coming to you now? It's already come because you're baptized into Christ. You were buried with Jesus on that day. And now you've been raised with Jesus on that day. And you live in this new creation which is already here. Only in part. Yes, I'll give you that. Fair enough. But it's here because he's raised. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's in you. I'm going to use three words, I think. Future, hope, now. I think that is what John the Apostle and the Gospel writers are trying to tell us Christians. Future, you've got one. Hope, uh, hope, it's all about hope. And it's now. Future, hope, now. Even more. And it's more than a set of steak knives, mate. It's good, I can tell you. Did you notice something's missing? Did you notice it? It actually told you it's missing. What's not there? Sky, earth. Anybody pick it up? Sea. There's no sea. Now what's going on with that? Because I, when I think heaven, I think pina coladas on the old uh, lazy boy at the beach. You know, <laughs> I quite like the beach. Oh, no sea. Anyway, what's going on there is there's no sea for John the Apostle, who's a Jewish man who are not a seafaring people, all the way through the scriptures, which you've probably heard before many times, the sea is always the place of darkness and chaos and disorder and pain and terror and death and disordered creation. It's destructive and it's evil. No terror, no tears. So for John, the sea is not going to be there in the new creation. No death, no destructive evil, no chaotic violence, no death, no death, and no tears of grief and sorrow. There is water though, it's not the ocean, but there is water. There's a big river of living water running down the middle of the street of this main street of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the new creation. Jesus is the living water. That's what he told the woman at the well, didn't he? He's the living water. And the other thing is that Jesus said about water and stuff is that I thirst when he's on the cross. He thirsted so that you don't have to anymore. He thirsted. He went without everything that was his so you could have everything that's his, living water. Well, we've tasted death this week again at St. Petri, and there'll be a big funeral here tomorrow. There'll be one here on Thursday as well. And I don't like death. It's horrible. I hate it. And I don't think you do either. And I know that God doesn't like death. And I know that God's done something about it. Actually, he's killed death. God has killed death death a new creation has come death is actually dead when it comes to God and our faith and our place in him so friends we are not we are not simply going to heaven when we die 
Heaven has come to us so we can live now and then. Both. Jesus is raised. Death is dead. You were dead in your sin before he found you. But he's found you. And now you're alive in him. And what about the dead? What about Lawrence? And what about Kevin? What about them this week? They are his beloved ones. At rest in the Saviour's arms. Until that great and final and full resurrection day. When all the dead will be raised. And all injustice and oppression will be finally and fully dealt with properly and fairly. And some will finally be fully in the new creation without any cloudiness or mistiness. It'll be absolutely full in a way that we can't experience yet, but we're, we're close. And there'll be no chaos and there'll be no fear and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more tears of grief and sorrow at all. And hopefully, hardly anyone will be left in the old creation that's dying. Hopefully. And that's where you and I come in. Because we're in that space now. And our task in life and our task as a church is to help those who are dying in the old creation to receive the new creation. That's our task. That's, what, that's why the Gentile Pentecost happened, the one we heard about with Jopper and Peter and the big sheet and the four animals. That's called the Gentile Pentecost. And they couldn't believe it, that the new creation was for non-Jewish people, all the unclean, horrible degenerates. That's what Gentiles are if you're a Jewish person. They changed the world living in this hope of a new creation. We can too. We have hope to give to sinners. We have life to give to the dead. We have an earth to fight for and tend because it's God's earth and they're his creatures and we should fight for it and we should tend it. And we have bodies to tend, yours and mine and other people in their need. And we have everything to give because we've been given everything to give. And we won't miss out on a thing. And it's much better than 20 million. You can give away your whole life because you'll never miss out on a thing because of that future. Because of that future. Friends, your future determines your now. Do you believe it? Are you letting Jesus' future really be your now? You can. It's a good future. And that means you've got a good now. It's good. So I guess I'm saying live Love, like the gospel reading. Live, love, pray with Jesus every day in the new creation. Your work will mean a lot. You won't mind putting the widget on the wadget because it all makes sense. Your work will be fantastic. Your contribution to the community will be spirit-filled and exceedingly generous because you can give it away. Your marriage will be great because it will be lived in that kind of love with that kind of future hope. Beautiful. And your suffering and your grief will be endured with a quiet song of faith. And, and even a quiet joy eventually. And your actions, you'll even love your enemies. 
So I, I guess we just have to pray with Jesus because what does he says? He says, your new creation come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ, amen. And the peace of God, which is beyond all of our human imagination or understanding, keep you in the new creation in which he's already put you. In Jesus' name, amen. for listening. Pastor Adrian serves at St. Petri Lutheran Church, New York, Barossa Valley, South Australia. stpetri.org.au